G'day and welcome to the Bernie Gander Show. It is great to have you along. Once again, COVID-19 has dominated the headlines and once again, we've seen tragedy this week. Not from COVID itself, but from the brutal and quite frankly, insane response to it by our governments. It is worth remembering that the first duty of government is to protect its people. Yet in Victoria, government is killing its people. There really is no other way to put it. William Wall, a 14 year old boy with autism, died last week after leaving home early on Tuesday morning for a walk. He said he would be gone for 15 minutes. He never came back. It is not known why or how, but it seems that William became lost or disorientated. His body was discovered about 36 hours later, just over a kilometre from his home. This is a terrible tragedy and all of us feel for William's family. The grief must be devastating. William's family did all they could to find him. There is no doubt about that at all. If I could sort of say to people, just outbuildings and around the property, um, there's a heap of people around and the thing the police, the ECS, um, his brother's mates, all being out all night. Um, I just want everyone to be safe. Um, there's obviously motorbikes that have now switched to uh, push bikes as well because you can obviously with that you can hear them calling out um, or crying. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, any outbuildings on your property, if you, if you don't mind, really appreciate it. Um, seven look around. Um, yeah. But can you say the same about the Victorian government? Did it really leave no stone unturned to ensure that William was found safely? Well, the answer to that is no, not at all. As news broke that William was missing, people naturally turned up to help look for him. And then, bizarrely, they were turned away. They were not needed, said the Victorian police. Go home and tweet about it. If you go and look for William, COVID might happen. Plus, it's against the law to be more than five kilometres from your home. Just to make it crystal clear, the Yarra Rangers Police Facebook page stated, in line with coronavirus restrictions, at this time, we do not require any assistance from the public. Because Australians are good people, some searched anyway. That's what Australians do. But their efforts were delayed and clearly there was little to no coordination of this volunteer support. And how do you feel the fact that everyone here with such goodwill come to search for him and have been turned? Well, it's really disappointing, you know. We've, we waited an hour to hear that news as well, which is, you know, they must have known that at the beginning. But, um, yeah, it, it is disheartening for us all because we've all come with good intentions to come and, you know, look for William and find him and get him home safely because the weather's getting worse. It's getting it started raining since we've been standing. It's getting colder, but it's getting it colder for the rest of the week. So, you know, we want to get him found. Just to make it clear, this issue was raised with the Victorian Premier and he refused to take any action at all. Watch. Police told members of the community not to search for the missing autistic boy William Wall last night. He's 14 and he's missing in bushland because of the 9pm curfew. Do you really think that's acceptable? I'm not sure what advice Victoria Police gave. That's not a matter that I would have been... Well, I'm not, not involved in that, but I'm more than happy to refer your question to Victoria Police. I'm sure they'll be able to speak. If they didn't give that advice, though, do you think that it's the curfews give, uh, driven so much fear into Victorians that they won't be searching for a missing boy out of fear that they'd get fined because of the curfew? No, I don't believe that's the case at all. But as to let's be 
just to go back, you've asked me about something that you say Victoria Police said. I'm telling you, go to speak to them. That's the most important thing to do. They are the ones who can confirm what, if any, advice they gave. On the second broader point that you just made, I don't accept that logic. Uh, there's a big team, a big team of SES volunteers, Victoria Police. There'll be other people out there helping with that effort. I thank each of them for the amazing work they're doing, and I hope that uh, William Wall is found as soon as possible. We send our best wishes to his family. This will be a really difficult time for them. But as to what was or wasn't communicated from a member of Victoria Police, uh, Victoria Police are the best people to try and clarify that for you. Just to clarify, in your view, should an exception be made uh, for uh, members of the public who might be out after curfew looking for that? My understanding was that there may have been some decisions made in relation to COVID safety, for instance. But again, I'm only speculating. That's what I was briefed this morning uh, as to exactly what's occurred there. Police are the ones to what, be able to answer that question. What do you mean question. by COVID safety? Well, I suppose COVID. it's very difficult to congregate in large groups at the, at the moment. So there are a whole range of rules. Uh, and they, they're not to prevent anything other than the spread of the virus. But I, I've got no advice that says that the, the rules have impeded the work, the amazing work that's being done as we speak. And hopefully they can find him very, very soon. Who turned up this morning have been told to go home and instead spread the word on social media. If they're searching through bushland, maintaining social distance, what could be? The Again, issue? I'm not the one that's told them to do that, Candice. The only people who can speak to that are the people who have apparently said that, and I'm more than happy to facilitate Victoria Police, a Victoria Police spokesperson, answering those questions. So can you send them a message through us, through the media, right now that? That's not a good idea. It's not my practice to communicate with the Chief Commissioner via the media with the greatest of respect, as important as your role is. That has never been my practice, nor will it be. Sorry, will you call him then? I'll probably better phrase question. No, I'll make sure that my office contacts the Chief Commissioner's office, not the Chief Commissioner, but the Chief Commissioner's office and police media, and makes it clear that uh, there are some questions that have been asked. I, I'm not in a position to answer them, but they need answering. And I, I'm very confident that the Chief Commissioner and his team will uh, provide you with the answers that you're after. Should those people have been turned away if all they were doing was well, going through the bush looking for this Again, with, with respect, I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's occurred. I know there's some social media reports. Uh, the best thing to do is to have the people who have apparently made that choice explain to you whether they have done it and if they have done it, for what reasons. Surely this is an example, though, that this curfew has driven so much fear into Victorians that they wouldn't risk breaking the curfew. No, I think you've asked that question already and I've rejected the premise of that question. That is not accurate in my judgment. The curfew has served to help bring these numbers down. That's what the curfew has done. Uh, and I do not accept uh, the... It's not really a question. I think you're putting a statement to me. You've done it twice now and I don't accept it. That video is infuriating. Don't ask me about the COVID restrictions. Ask the police, said Dan Andrews. COVID restrictions aren't hampering the effort, said Dan Andrews. But people can't gather. It's too dangerous, said Dan Andrews. I send my best wishes to the family, said Dan Andrews. And later that day, William's body was found just one kilometre from his home at the end of a residential street. This tragedy will rock William's family and it will be compounded forever by questions. Was everything really done to find him? Is William dead because of the COVID restrictions? Or even did William hide from the police because he had become frightened of him? That question is not idle. I've had mothers tell me that their children will not leave home now because of the police. Those questions will never be answered, but they will eat away forever. Yet it didn't stop Dan Andrews, the Victorian dictator, from then stating this. I just wanted to 
pause for a moment and on behalf of all Victorians uh, send our love and support, our condolences and our best wishes to the family of William Wall. This is a terrible tragedy and one that I think has touched every single Victorian and I know that this will be a terrible time for that family and uh, to every member of William's family uh, we say how sad we are and that we share in your grief and your loss and any support that we can provide to you, we of course stand ready to do that. This has touched, I think, the hearts of every single Victorian. Can I also make a comment about how proud I am to think that emergency services, volunteers, career, members of the community uh, all did an amazing job. They did their very best uh, and sadly that's not the outcome that they or any of us wanted. But I did want to pay tribute to them. Uh, whenever they're called upon, they always step up and it does make you very, very proud. Dan Andrews might say that he's sad, but he's not hurting like a father does. This tragedy barely touches him. In fact, the truth is for Dictator Dan that this tragedy is an irritation, a pain in the neck because it's led some to question his insane rules and to challenge his authority. That's as far as it goes. And for Dan Andrews to get up in front of the media and claim that everything possible was done and to praise the efforts to actually turn volunteers away is nothing less than an insult. The fact that he could say this with a straight face is a perfect testimony of Dan Andrews' character. I can only hope that no other families have to endure his help in the future. Staying in Victoria, there's been a 6% increase in crime over the past 12 months, up until the end of June, according to the Victorian Crime Statistics Agency. Of interest, while there has been an increase in violent crimes and robberies overall, these offences actually dropped considerably when COVID restrictions were first implemented in April. It seems that the COVID-19 restrictions even kept criminals at home. However, it does remain to be seen how long this will actually last, especially when the Victorian Police are now advertising just how easy it is to commit these crimes now. This is a tweet sent out by Victorian Police a few days ago depicting the suspect who would threaten a woman in the regional centre of Horsham. Watch out for a man in the mask, warns Victorian police. If you see a man in a mask, report him immediately and stay away. He could be dangerous, especially if he's wearing sunnies. You should probably also dob a man without a mask into the police too. He's a criminal as well and probably more dangerous. So if violent crime, drug-related crime and robberies are down, what crimes are up? Well, fortunately in Victoria, there is a good way of keeping the police busy if the criminals are all cowed at home afraid of COVID. You simply pass laws that makes everyone else a criminal too. Other crimes are up over 6,000% in Victoria over the past 12 months. There will be crimes like visiting your family at Easter, going to the beach, or even just trying to sit on a park bench. In fact, Victoria Police are now making sure that you wear a mask while you smoke. Do you mind putting the mask on? Uh, not at all, I'm actually having a cigarette. So. Yeah, well, I don't want to breathe the cigarette smoke in either, so... So I can stand away from you if you like, but it's not illegal to smoke without a, a mask on, so... No, excuse me. I can stand over here if you prefer. But I'm a little bit... Smoking cigarettes is not one of the exemptions of not wearing a mask. Are you sure? Drinking, beverages, and eating food is. Apparently, even though it is legal to take your mask off in Victoria to smoke, the police are making sure that you keep it on anyway. That's what the Victorian police does these days, apart from turning volunteers away, of course. Just so you do know, 
there is a helpful Victorian government webpage that outlines when you can take your mask off. It clearly stipulates that it is okay to take a mask off while you are smoking. A person may remove their face covering to smoke or use an e-cigarette, it says. That's good to know. If I was Victorian, I'd be vaping 24-7. But the police do not seem to care about this, and Dictator Dan is now proposing laws that will allow the government to deputise any public servant to arrest any person if that public servants believe they might flout COVID restrictions, even if they aren't restrictions at all, it seems. That power definitely won't be abused at all. By the way, the same Victorian government website also helpfully explains that you can take your mask off to eat or drink. Yes, its website says you can take your face covering off when eating or drinking. Any government that thinks it's populist is so stupid that it needs to even put those words on a web page is not fit to govern. Dictator Dan's government has become a power-hungry joke so full of itself that nothing is left but hypocrisy, stupidity and the misery of broken lives it is causing. So it is no surprise at all that while police make sure you smoke with your mask on, actual drug dealers and users have nothing to worry about at all, including even after COVID lockdowns. There's anger in Richmond tonight after confirmation Melbourne's strict curfew doesn't apply to the safe injecting room. The government says it is an essential service, but locals are concerned drug users are flouting the rules. A strict lockdown to stop us moving around. But that hasn't stopped Richmond's heroin problem. Our cameras today captured this drug deal outside the safe injecting room. Melburnians must be home by 8pm under our new curfew, but not drug users who visit the controversial centre who can access it until 9pm. I just find it bizarre that we as residents around here and obviously everybody in Victoria has to be home by 8 o'clock, but still this is classed as a medical facility um, that you're allowed to shoot up illegal drugs after 8 o'clock. These photos were taken by a local this week who says the lockdown hasn't changed users' behaviour. There's clusters of people around, there's clusters of people at the door. We're all stuck at home and people are losing their jobs and losing their businesses while these people do whatever they like in our streets. But the Premier insists the facility is essential. No different to a hospital emergency department, no different to any other provider of healthcare. Dan Andrews. You gotta hand it to him. He's managed to turn Melbourne, a city that used to boast it was the most livable in the world, into a place where smoking without a mask is a crime, but it is legal to shoot up heroin in the street even after the COVID curfew. Good times. The Archibald Prize is probably the most prestigious art award in Australia. It was first awarded in 1921, which makes it 99 years old this year, and it is given to the best portrait as judged by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. The winning artist receives $100,000. There have been some remarkable paintings win over the years. Self-portraits of artists, Victoria Cross winners, Prime Ministers and famous Australians from all walks of life. But just like everything else in our civilization, art is disintegrating too. From the mid-1960s, it is clear that this prestigious award has begun to promote the ugly instead of the uplifting. And in the process, artistic talent has been replaced with, well, something else entirely. It's hard to come up with the right word for it. Chaos, perhaps, describes it best. Chaos seems to be all that is needed to become a finalist these days, as shown by some of what can loosely be described as paintings that are up for the final prize this year. 
Take this painting, for instance. The description that goes with it is breathtakingly honest. The artist boasts that it was finished in just one sitting with just three brushes and a pair of gloves. The artist has a master's and a bachelor of fine arts and came to Australia as, you guessed it, a refugee. This painting is another finalist painted by an Aboriginal man from South Australia. The description of this portrait states that one of the constants in all this artist's paintings is that he works to the music of ACDC. I think that is fairly obvious. And this painting has just been announced as the winner. You might not be able to tell, but apparently it is of Adam Goods. No doubt this year's prize was handed out for its political value rather than for its contribution to the arts. If art is a reflection of society and this is the best that can be produced in Australia today, then we really are all in trouble. Since May 2016, the Inspector General of the Australian Defence Force has been conducting an inquiry into alleged war crimes committed by some Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. I've been highly critical of this process since it was launched. There are all sorts of problems with it. For a start, this inquiry has gone on longer than World War One. It has gone on longer than the war crime trials held to deal with the Japanese war criminals at the end of World War II. There is no reason that this inquiry has taken so long. That should be obvious. It is dragging on and dragging many Australian soldiers and their families unfairly through the mud with it. Worst of all, this inquiry is not even a solution to the problem. It has no power to make criminal findings. All it can do is slander soldiers that were sent by our government overseas to fight and potentially die for this nation. War crimes should be taken very seriously and I would be very disappointed if any Australian soldier had breached their rules of engagement. It is not the Australian way. But if a soldier is suspected of committing a war crime, evidence should be produced, he should be charged and he should be put on trial and given an opportunity to defend himself. This inquiry is not doing any of those things. In fact, any evidence produced in this inquiry cannot even be used in a trial. It is all immune and cannot be used in criminal proceedings. This inquiry, as far as I am concerned, is all about covering the backsides of senior army officers. That's what it is about, and that's what it will do. Those who sent brave soldiers overseas for their fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth deployment, knowing that they are burning out and being asked to do too much, will not answer for any of this at all. One of those people was David Morrison, the former chief of army. Remember him? The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Yeah, that guy. You might also remember him for this. The research has told us for years how language cuts people out or cuts them down. The global career mapping project that we're working on is actually looking at how we... Come on, girls. Let's get cracking. Girls. Anyway, Morrison was awarded the title of Australian of the Year in 2016. He, along with Kate McGregor and Liz Broderick, were all recognised for their cultural change agenda within the Australian Defence Force. These were politically correct awards handed out for politically correct rubbish. The concept of Australian of the Year has never recovered since. Now, in a strange twist of fate, Victoria Cross winner Ben Robert Smith was the chair of the Australia Day Council which handed out these awards. Ben Robert Smith is also at the centre of the allegations being investigated, it seems, by the Inspector General of the ADF. At least, that appears to be the case from Fairfax reporting, which I do have to point out is running an outrageous and unprincipled and what may ultimately be found to be a very expensive and defamatory narrative against Australia's most decorated war hero. 
Ben Robert Smith is a brave Australian soldier. There is no doubt about that. But if it does turn out that Ben Robert Smith has done the wrong thing, and I sincerely hope that these allegations are untrue, then there will need to be some serious questions asked of David Morrison. The allegations about war crimes were floating around when he was Chief of Army, and Morrison made a point of sacking officers for not knowing about these type of scandals or taking action to address them. Indeed, the ABC reports that Morrison was personally approached by Major General Jeff Singleman about rumours of war crimes before he retired as Chief of Army. And as we all know, just a few months later, Morrison was awarded Australian of the Year for being the guy who supposedly stamped out inappropriate behaviour in the Army by the person who was reportedly at the centre of these allegations. Is it or just a bizarre coincidence? Maybe, but it does seem a little off to me. So, what did Morrison know? When did he know it? More importantly, were these awards handed out to the human rights warriors in defence who surely would have been aware of them in order to thereby in order to buy their silence? And did it work? Those questions will need to be asked and they will need to be answered because, after all, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Ten days ago, the New South Wales Parliament handed down its report into Mark Latham's proposed bill to force the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board to end the processing of vexatious complaints. The fact that you even need a bill to force a state government body to dismiss vexatious complaints says a lot about the anti-discrimination industry in New South Wales. Bizarrely, the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board did not deny it accepts and processes vexatious complaints during this inquiry. Instead, it claims that it would not be able to protect human rights if forever offended gay activists could not lodge complaints to bankrupt their enemies. And that's what they do. Trust me on this. I've been subject of 37 complaints from one single activist who has boasted that his goal is to bankrupt me. The Anti-Discrimination Board knows this and continues to process his complaints. They've done it for years. The inquiry report is disappointing in some ways. Mark Latham's bill was rejected. Instead, the inquiry recommended that the president of the board be allowed to refuse to accept a vexatious complaint. That, by the way, is not the same as the law requiring the president to reject a vexatious complaint. It will allow, for instance, the president of the board to choose to continue with the complaint, which means that, unfortunately, not much will change yet. What is good news is that this report makes it clear that vexatious complaints are a problem. With the inquiry chair, Robert Borzak writing, in my view, there are individuals that are misusing the complaints process for personal vendettas. He went on to state that vexatious litigants are abusing the complaints process and in doing so, wasting taxpayer resources unnecessarily. You can say that again, and that is now written set in stone in a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry. I do have to thank Mark Latham for his efforts to get this inquiry going and to put forward his bill. I'm greatly appreciative of his personal support and all Australians should be greatly appreciative of his work to protect their freedom. In the meantime, the New South Wales government now has until 18 March next year to respond to this report. We can only hope that the Conservatives in the Liberal Party can muscle up the strength to use the findings of this report to address this outrageous problem. At the moment, it seems that the radical lefties in the Liberal Party are voting with the Greens to make sure nothing happens at all. 
whatever happens between now and election day in the US, you can be sure that there will be more twists and turns and more violence. And given the push by the Democrats in many states to use postal voting and to delay counting, it is almost certain that this violence will continue after election day. If anything, it will only get worse. And the violence is all coming from the Democratic Party's militia Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement. I'll get to that in a moment. The death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has ramped up the tension, especially as President Trump and the Republicans have the numbers and, more importantly, the constitutional authority and responsibility to appoint her replacement prior to the election. If you have not been following the US election closely, it is likely that all you may have heard is propaganda that the Republicans are stealing a Supreme Court seat. This is, to be quite clear, simply BS. It's also hypocrisy. A little context and background. The US president has the power to nominate a judge to the Supreme Court. The Senate will then confirm that appointment. The Democrats are crying foul because in 2016, the Republican-controlled Senate refused to approve then-President Obama's pick for a Supreme Court vacancy. But that is how the system works. Now the Senate is likely to approve President Trump's pick. Again, that is simply the system at works. The Democrats are just unhappy that they are not getting their way. And the reason they are not getting their way is because Americans did not vote to give them the votes they needed to get their way. That is all. But it has exposed the Democrats' hypocrisy. Watch this. These are the same Democrats whinging now, back in 2016, that the Supreme Court vacancy should be filled. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not but they go forward with the process. What we're seeing here, and I hope this is temporary, is a disrespect for the Constitution. The Constitution is 100% clear. The President of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a Justice of the Supreme Court. Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. The blockade on filling a naturally occurring vacancy, in my view, is harmful to the independence of the Article Three branch. You cannot keep a seat on the Supreme Court, which represents all of us. You cannot keep it vacant against the Constitution. Do pretty much everything they can to avoid acknowledging the legitimacy of our democratically elected president. The American people expect the president's nominee to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. I say to you, do your job. Vote for a Supreme Court nominee. Instead of just saying the blanket rule is no matter who you are, no matter what your qualifications, because you were sent by this president, we will create a unique rule for you and refuse to entertain you. One of the most important um, consequences of who is president of the United States is who sits on the United States Supreme Court. If you want to stop extremism in your party, you can start by showing the American people that you respect the President of the United States and the Constitution. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. President Trump will fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's position 
and he can do so because he was elected to be president to do just that. Meanwhile, the Democrats' militia is out of control. It has one role, to intimidate Americans to vote for Joe Biden. This is just some of what has occurred in the last week in America. It is incredible that this is going on in the United States, but it is. It has been going on all over the nation since June. Much of the media just ignores it. They don't want you to know about it. In many ways, this video from August sums up the situation perfectly. A car park proudly carrying a sign saying Black Lives Matter was set alight in Kenosha. The sign, the slogan was meaningless. It offered no protection. It did not stop the mob and it was not meant to. It was never meant to. This violence is not spontaneous. It is planned. It is organized. The militias are trained. They take no prisoners. They are funded. They are equipped. They have medical and media support. Just look at this truck delivering signs and equipment this week, including shields for rioters in Louisville. That does not happen spontaneously or by accident. It takes organization, planning and funding. Abolish the police, the sign says. These are the slogans of a revolutionary movement that is intense on overthrowing all law and order and imposing its own rules on society. Rules where those who do not believe in law and order or justice get to rule the roost. These are the people that the Democrats are relying on to vote them into power in November. In fact, in Florida, it is so blatant that the Democrats are paying fines and penalties for people who have been convicted of crimes just so that they will vote for the Democrats. If that is who you are relying on, if that is your campaign strategy, it says it all about where you stand in terms of good and bad, right or wrong. The Democrats are buying the votes of criminals. We should all hope that they do not succeed and win the election. Well, it's that time again. Goose of the week and the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg has brought out the loonies from the woodwork. That is for sure. Runner-up simply has to go to this woman whose reaction to the death of the judge who protected the right to abortion has gone viral. Holy you guys! I'm driving your car but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died! Could this year get any Lady, it's not that bad. 
But this week's worthy winner is Jamie Smith, who wrote an article for the Huffington Post titled, The Death of Rutabaga Ginsburg Pushed Me to Join the Satanic Temple. Jamie's article stated, When Justice Ginsburg died, I knew immediately that action was needed on a scale we have not seen before. Our democracy has become so fragile that the loss of one of the last guardians of common sense and decency in government less than two months before a pivotal election has put our civil and reproductive rights in danger like never before. And so, I have turned to Satanism. So, uh, why do you adore the demon god of the underworld? Because a Supreme Court judge died, that's why. Duh. I guess that kind of makes sense if you are crazy. But it is in many ways the most truthful testimony to the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg that has been published anywhere. Good on Jamie for basically laying out what too many people are afraid to say. Ruth Bader Ginsburg makes us all think of Satan. Anyway, Jamie Smith takes home the Goose of the Week award. Give the budding Satanist a round of applause. Help us fight fake news. Subscribe to The Good Source today and if you can, please donate. Free speech should be free, but bringing content to The Good Source is not. We can only do it with your support. These photos were taken while I was filming today's episode. As you can see, they are produced in a little shed. It works for now, but we have a plan to improve this shed a proper studio in here and to improve the quality of the content that we bring you. It will cost a little bit of money. If you can help, please donate at thegoodsource.news today. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 